Please be seated. Well, I have a treat for y'all. Unfortunately, it's not this Sunday. It's next Sunday. Next Sunday, y'all know John Boyd? Raise your hand, John. That's John. Um, he's he's going to be interviewed by me as our next ordinary hero. And it's going to be really amazing. Y'all are going to love it because y'all know him as a member of this community. He got the parade started. I'm not going to give it all away. But he worked for years and years and years as the crew training instructor with NASA, attached to mission control. And so I got to talk with him about a week ago. We were talking about what we were going to share with y'all. And he was telling me, and he will tell you about how he got um, those astronauts ready to walk on the moon. I'll tell you about spacesuits, and I mean, all, I'm not going to give it away. Um, but we talked a little bit about Apollo 13, too. And that was actually before my time. But they've made movies about it. So now I know what went on. Um, and one of the things that is etched in our national memory about that event, even if we weren't alive when it happened, is what Gene Krantz said to Mission Control when it looked like Apollo 13 was doomed. What did he say? Failure is not an option. Do y'all know this? I don't know. I don't know. What. Okay, yes, you know. Failure is not an option. And I gave you today that as I was talking with John, I, got, I knew I get to do one sermon before we heard from John. So this is a standalone. And what, I th- what captured my mind was how Gene Krantz said that. Failure is not an option. And I thought, I like that quote, but really? So I made y'all a fill in a circle one choice on your handout here. You get to decide, and hopefully maybe at the end of today, we'll have an answer. Is failure an option or is it not an option? A lot of us as Christians, we feel like failure is not an option because we're believers. And so if we fail, we must have done something wrong. We must have prayed not enough or something, we, something else maybe beyond our control went wrong, right? What I'd like us to see today, what I hope we see is how Gene Krantz got there to say that failure is not an option, why he could say that, and also to realize that failure very much is an option. Today, I'm not going to teach you how not to fail because the fact is you're going to fail, What I'd like us to examine is what do we do after we fail? What comes next? And we had a great example of failure this week. Did anybody watch the Indy 500? Whoa, that was an amazing race. Like they were all, you know, do you you go to the pit stop or do you not? You know, all the gas, is the gas going to run out? And at the very end of the race, it looks like the rookie has it sewn up last turn, and then this happens. A chance at victory lane goes up in flames. A rookie crashes, and a veteran in his first race of the year wins the Indy 500. Leading by more than three seconds, rookie J.R. Hildebrand crashed coming out of the final turn, allowing Dan Weldon to take the checkered flag. Hildebrand had the race seemingly sewn up, but a choice to go high on the final turn backfired. I had run up on the high side before earlier in the race, and, uh, you know, so that just ended up being what I went for. And as soon as I got up there, I think just because at the end of a, end of a tire stint, lots of marbles and stuff. The ninth two-time winner, Weldon kisses the bricks for the first time since 2005. Without a full-time ride this season, he appeared headed for his third straight runner-up finish. It's unbelievable, man. I'm just, I'm so happy. I, uh, 
I don't, I don't think I'm supposed to do this. I'm, uh, I'm a part-timer right now. This, this is my only race. My contract expires at midnight tonight. Amazingly, Hildebrand's crumpled car slid across the line in second place. The 23-year-old California native grabbed the lead when Belgian Bertrand Baguette pitted with three laps to go. It's obviously disappointing. You know, I, I didn't come into the Indianapolis 500 this year as a rookie and whatever, you know, thinking that I was going to be in a position to win the race, but we were, and that's why it's frustrating because this Panther racing team, these guys have come so close so many times. This National Guard team has come in second the last three years in a row. You know, I felt like I really owed this to those guys because we, we had in the bag. I love that clip because did you see that car, like, did you realize, because some of y'all didn't watch this because you're not Indy 500 fans, he's in the last turn. That's the last turn. There's a straightaway, checker flag, you win. Memorial Day weekend, you're driving the National Guard car. Your team has done an amazing job. You have enough gas. You're going to finish three-second lead. And instead of downshifting to get behind a slower car, he thought, I'm going to pass that car. And blam. And then, did you see how the car just, like, kind of skids across the finish line? Have you ever felt that way? I see that car, and I'm like, man, I have been there. Like, that, blam! Oh, and you just, you know, the other car is like, yes! It zooms past. We just, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And, you know, J.R. Hildebrand, he was very gracious after he lost, and he said, it's because I decided to pass. So, what do you do? What do you do after you fail miserably in front of a nation of viewers? What, what do you do after you let somebody down? What do you do when something doesn't go the way you thought it would? What do you do when a relationship ends that you thought would be there forever? Let me tell you some of a few of the wrong things I see happening. First of all, I see us, after we fail, make some excuses. Right? Well, that happened because of something else right? It's not my fault that that really happened. It's somebody else's fault or it's circumstances. We can make excuses. Another thing that we do when we fail is we internalize it, the failure. We let it become so much a part of us that it's like we wrote it down on our heart. Say, I've seen so many folks in my office. I've been a pastor nine years now, and I have so many conversations with people after a relationship breaks up. And one of the one of the things I hope that they never do is write on their hearts, I am so broken, this won't be fixed. Because that's the kind of words I hear people saying is, I don't know that I can ever trust someone again. I don't know that I could ever love anyone again. I am so broken, nobody will want me. And after a failure, we are tempted to just write that failure down and say, this is who I am, and never try again. So we either blame it on someone else, or we so take it in that it becomes a definition of who we are. I, had, I worked for a boss um, who kind of did this on a small failure thing. He was great with big picture ideas. He would, you know, we'd pitch these ideas. We'd be talking about how we're going to do these things. And we'd get to the part where you had to implement it. And I, I could watch him do it. He would be leaning forward and he would lean back, cross his arms, and invariably say this, I'm not a detail person. Really? I mean, like, for the rest of your life... Whenever it gets down to the nitty-gritty, are you going to tell yourself, are you going to tell your, the world, I'm sorry, I can't help you here because I'm not a detail person? I mean, we all have our strengths, we all have our weaknesses, but see, he had failed at details. 
And what he took away from that was, I can't do it. Not going to try that again, ever. And that actually hobbled what he could do in ministry because he wouldn't even ever try or try to deal it. You know, he, I'm, wash my hands of that baby. Not going to do it. We don't want to do that. So I want to read you the story of a great biblical failure. A great biblical failure. Actually, let me preface it for you. It's Peter. Do y'all realize that Peter is a great example for us? That Peter gives us permission to fail, and not just once, but repeatedly. Because he did that. So let's go through a couple of times. And the first service looked at me like, oh gosh, a Bible quiz. Oh, why did I come today? But maybe y'all can get through it. It's not that hard. Do you remember when they were on, the, the disciples were on a boat and it's, a storm arose and it was really ferocious and they were all good fishermen, but they were having a hard time. And what are they doing when the storm comes up? Oh my gosh, we're going to die. Oh my God, oh my gosh, we're going to die. And they run to Jesus and they're like, we're going to die. And Jesus is like, okay. And he stands up and he's like, wind, quiet, waves, quiet. Why don't you have faith in me? You know, and they're like, oh, okay. So that's a fail, right? God is in the boat with you and you're screaming about how you're going to die. That's a failure. Move on. They, there's, the, there's this crowd of people who comes up. Jesus has been teaching them all day. Remember this? And they're getting hungry. And the disciples are like, we know the answer. Get them out of here, right? And Jesus is like, let's feed them. And so the disciples see that Jesus is able to feed 5,000 men, the Bible say, says. So that's like 20,000 people. With what? Whole foods? No? What? A lunchbox, right? Like a, loaves and fishes, it's a little boy's lunch. And he feeds 5,000 people. Then in the next chapter, there are 2,000 hungry people. You know what the disciples are doing? Oh my gosh, we've got to send these people away. I don't know where we're going to get all the food for these people. Oh, send them away, Jesus. And don't you know that in the back of their head, they're going, I seem to remember something about someone who can make food appear. I don't know. I've forgotten, right? And so another failure. Another failure of faith. Remember when Jesus comes walking across the water to them on the boat? Most of the disciples fall on their knees and they're like, "Ah, a ghost, oh my gosh, cover your head, a ghost is here, right? So failure on their part. But what does Peter do at that point? Because Peter is among them at all these times failing. And he has a little bit of a win here. Do you remember what he did? He gets outside, he steps out of the boat and he puts his feet on water and he takes a step or two. And then what happens? He goes, oh my gosh, I can't be doing this. And then suddenly he's not doing it anymore. He's sinking. And Jesus, then he calls out to Jesus, save me, oh my gosh. And Jesus saves him. And he says, why did you doubt? So Peter has all these chances and basically crashes into the wall every time. You know, it's looking good. Oh, walking on water, blam, hits the wall, falls. And this one that I'm reading to you is Peter's first real win, okay? But it's also followed by a failure. So you'll see both of them at one time. It's in Matthew 16. Okay, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? This was an easy question, okay? All they had to do is repeat, and so they do. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. 
Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So we have here both Peter's terrific success and a spectacular failure. So I want us to take the first lesson from this. First of all, do you notice that Peter failed a lot? And Jesus was standing right there with him the whole time. So when we are Christians, oftentimes we think, if I'm a Christian, I'm not going to fail anymore. Ticker tape parades, baby, all the way. That's not true. We are human. We will fail. Peter failed. The key is, what happens after you fail? What happens next? Do you blame it on somebody else? Do you do the wrong thing and kind of in, get ingrown with it? What, what do we do? What's the healthy thing to do? Well, there was a study in the New Yorker magazine about surgical residents going into this really intense program. They had some dropouts, and so they wanted to figure out, are there questions we can ask them at the beginning that will help predict how successful they are in completing this program and becoming surgeons? And they did. They found two questions. Two questions asked at the beginning could predict reliably if they would make it to the end. And those two questions were, have you ever made a mistake? And what caused that mistake? Have you ever made a mistake? And what caused that mistake? And what they found was that the surgeons who said, if they said, have you ever made a mistake? And what's a recent mistake you've made? And what caused it? The surgeons who said, I really can't think of anything. Or, yeah, I made a mistake, but it was because of the hospital I was in. Or it was because I had a terrible nurse that day. Or something like that blamed it. Those folks who answered questions, who couldn't think of a mistake or who blamed it on something else, were the most likely not to finish the program, to drop out. And actually, the surgeons who, when they said, have you ever made any mistakes? And they said, oh, I make mistakes all the time. Let me tell you about this mistake I made the other day. Those people who made all the mistakes actually turned into the best surgeons. That's a little sobering for us who ever have to go into surgery. But the reason that is, the researchers discovered, or at least they, this is their theory, is that they were the best surgeons because they recognized their mistakes and learned from them. They, weren't, they didn't write them off as somebody else's problem. They said, I did something wrong. Here's how I would do it better. They had the ability to integrate and learn from what went wrong. 
And that's key. Do you remember, did you know that Thomas Edison made thousands of attempts before he got the light bulb right? He tried literally thousands of different filaments before he got the light bulb. And in the midst of that process, after failure, 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 a colleague is said to have asked him if he thought he was, he had wasted his time because he hadn't found what worked yet. And I love this. Edison is said to have retorted, hardly. Have you wasted your time? Hardly. I have discovered a thousand things that don't work. I have discovered a thousand things that don't work. Sometimes that's what we can say is, man, I failed brilliantly, but you know what? I know that won't work. And I know that other thing won't work and that won't work. And I'm getting on to what will work in my life. I've heard this. Failure is the short-term cost of long-term success. Failure is the short-term cost of long-term success. Because you see, what can happen is we fail and we decide, I am not going to get hurt that way again. And so we never risk anything again. That's the wrong lesson. Or we decide it's somebody else's fault. That's the wrong lesson. Or we decide if I fail, then that means God is not with me. That's the wrong lesson. Peter teaches us, God can be with you and you can fail. It's what you take from it. Did you notice that Peter had two options here? Jesus said two things to him. He said, I'm giving you a new name. No longer Simon. You're Peter. You're the rock on which I'll build my church. And then he said to him, you're Satan's mouthpiece. You're a dangerous trap to me. One of the things that Peter could have done is said, Jesus called me Satan's mouthpiece. So I am not going to open my mouth ever again because I don't ever want that to happen again. But he didn't. He never would have become the rock if he would have written down the failure on his heart. See, Peter succeeded because he looked at the failure and somehow said, I don't quite understand, but I said the wrong thing. I'm going to listen and learn so that I can know what Jesus is talking about. And what he wrote on his heart was, you are the rock on which I will build my church. He believed that, that if Jesus said that about him, then it would happen. And y'all, that's what we need to write on our hearts. We need to write on our hearts who we know God is calling us to be. That voice that calls us on with hope that says, I have great plans for you. And not let those failures tell us you need to stop trying. But to say, okay, so I failed. I'm going to look this baby in the eye and see what I can learn from it. My dad taught me that. He's an attorney. And he always says that the practice of law is a practice. And so he says, man, there's nothing more dangerous than a baby lawyer. Because they're all head knowledge and no practice. They have, you can't learn it unless you're out there doing it. And he says, young lawyers make a ton of mistakes. And he did too. And he said one time he made this really big mistake. I imagine it was costly. I say I have to imagine because it was so long ago, dad can't even remember what it was. He just remembers it was terrible. You know, this firm, Sawtell Good had taken him on. He was a young lawyer, and he made a mistake that cost some money. And he got called in to talk to the senior partner. And there he was talking to the senior partner, and he actually was very humble about it. Um, I guess this is a good thing if you're a lawyer, although you don't see it very much. He said, I'm sorry I made such a stupid mistake. And he said, Bob Sawtell told him something that he has never forgotten and that he has shared with all the baby lawyers he's gotten to work with. 
He said, Bob Saltel looked at him and he said, the only stupid mistake is the one you make twice. It's not a stupid mistake if you make it the first time. How could you know? It's only stupid if you do it again. Failure is a short-term cost. It will happen to all of us, all of us. The thing is, we can build it into success. We can build it into success. We have to take a hard look at it. We have to admit where we were at fault because if we don't admit where we were at fault, what we did wrong, we're going to make that mistake again and then it's stupid, right? We have to look at it, figure out where we went wrong, and then drop it and move on. I thought, um, I thought about J.R. Hildebrand. And I wonder what he'll take away from this. I'm actually going to be watching to see what kind of a racer he is after this. Because one option would be that he never again takes the risks that got him the lead. Because did you hear him say, I, I did that before in the race, and it paid off. And I did it then, and the track was just too marbly, little bits of tires. And so I lost control. One option would be is that he just plays it safe, and he's never in the lead again. The better option would be that he takes calculated risks, that he knows when to accelerate and try to pass on a turn, and that he knows when he better downshift because of the state of the track. But I want us to close with this. This is examples of people who took risks. And because they took risks and they didn't give up, even though they failed, they became great. And I want you all to see it. Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, Wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca recording company who said, We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. Teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived. Y'all, if I can pick every time I want to win, that's what I would pick every time. But the truth is, in my life, I have learned more from my failures. I've learned more from when I failed. God has taught me more. And so what my prayer would be is that failure for you wouldn't stop you from taking a risk, wouldn't make you get ingrown, wouldn't keep you from trying again, but would give you a chance to look at what went wrong, to have God hold your hand as you do that, to look at what went wrong and say, okay, not going to do that again. Put it down and move on. Because just like God had an amazing plan for Peter and a new name and a glorious purpose, he has that for each of you. Failure did not stop Peter. It just taught him some good lessons. And I believe those failures are what he built on to become the rock of the church than what we'll build on to. Let's pray. God, I ask that as we um, 
think over the places where we have failed, where we have made fools of ourselves, where we have disappointed people we love, ourselves, and you. Help us to see clearly what went wrong. Help us to not be afraid to look. And Lord, may our failures not make us afraid. But with you, may they bring us courage to take the next step and to know that you can turn failure into strength, into success. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.